0: Hello, and welcome to the CrossMap Podcast. I'm Chris Carpenter. Folks, today marks a special day for the CrossMap Podcast. It's our 25th episode. That's right, 25, count them. Um, You know, I went to a podcast convention last year where it was said the average podcast lasts less than 10 episodes. So, this podcast, we have traveled well beyond Ten episodes, ten episodes. Think about that. Less than ten, the average podcast. That's it. That's it. And we're, here we are at number twenty-five. So, to celebrate, I just thought it would be a good idea to mention a few things that are also associated with the number twenty-five. Here goes: the twenty-fifth president of the United States was William McKinley Jr. Of course, right now we're on president number 46, I think, with Joe Biden. So President McKinley more than a century ago. So there you go. Next, the number of Florida electoral votes that won the 2,000 U.S. presidential election was 25. Think about that for a second. You hear about these victories there, landslide victories. They went over 100 electoral college votes. This one was settled by 25. And I'm not even talking about the hanging chads. The average week's worth of coffee costs an American $25. And that's not hard to fathom when you think about it because, you know, you run by Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, the coffee shop of your choice. Your average cup of medium coffee right now, I think, is going for like between 3 and $4. So it all adds up fast. So $25 is not very far-fetched. In the Bible... The numbers 600 and 12,000 are both used 25 times, and I can't think of a scripture with the number 600 or 12,000 off the top of my head, but trust me, they're used 25 times each in the Bible. The smallest square that can be written by adding two consecutive squares is 25. Three squared plus four squared equals five squared. And uh, folks, I I do realize I told you there would be no math on this podcast, but I thought that was too good uh, not to pass up. On a Major League Baseball team, 25 is the size of a full roster team for most of the season. I say most of the season because Major League Baseball has a rule that on September 1st, you can call up up to 15 minor leaguers to fill your roster out to 40 people. So, But for the vast majority of the season, 25 is the number. And finally, India's national board game, Pachisi, actually means 25 in the Hindi language. So those are just a few things associated with the number 25. There are many, many more. I think Johnny Cash has a song with the number 25 in it. can't think of the whole title off the top of my head, but you get my drift there. Okay, moving now, this is the awkward segue to introducing our guest for today, and I'm excited about our guest. And I am not being careless when I say that my guest today is one of the most prolific authors of this generation, or any generation for that matter, penning more than 200 books, including 21 New York Times bestsellers, he has sold more than $72 copies of his books worldwide 72 million known for his end times left behind series a collection of titles that that spawned several major motion pictures my guest has also written several biographies on such athletic luminaries as Hank Aaron Walter Payton Mike Singletary and Oral Hershiser, and he even assisted Billy Graham on his autobiography his latest work is a novelization of season two Of the critically acclaimed video series the chosen titled the chosen come and see the book is rich in capturing the program's authentically biblical base as readers will identify with the real life struggles victories doubts and issues that we all face even those personally chosen by jesus in a writing career that spans six decades my guest career started simply pounding out sports stories on a typewriter for his high school newspaper. Who is my guest on the podcast today? Please welcome legendary author and master storyteller, Jerry Jenkins. Here's more. Jerry, you've written more than 200 books, including 21 New York Times bestseller. That is a lot. Did you ever anticipate this success in your career when you started writing as a teenager?
1: No, as a matter of fact, um, a lot of people think that since I've written so many books and and have had this kind of success that uh, that I was called to be a writer and really mm. um, I, I was a sports writer very young. I was actually getting paid to write sports stories at age 14. But at age about 16 I was at a camp and, and at a uh, you know an evening, rededication type service, I felt called to full-time Christian work. Mm. And I thought I'd have to give up the writing and, and go into, you know, pastoring or missionary work, that, that type of thing. And a wise counselor said to me, don't be too quick to give up the writing because it may be the vehicle that you mm. use to fulfill this call because God often equips us before he calls us. And that was a relief to me. And, uh, you know, I still write some sports books, but I'm, you know, I'm not a sports writer anymore. And uh, I never anticipated uh, writing a bunch of books or writing bestsellers. And and my idea of success is just obeying the call. So once I've written the, the book, the sales and the reviews and the money or any of that stuff is all up to God in the marketplace, which takes a lot of pressure off me.
0: So, was it that experience that you had that summer, I guess, that got you interested in writing as a profession or or to take it seriously?
1: From that point. Well, I I was serious about writing and wanted to be. I thought I would be a, a professional sports writer. Yeah, you know, yes. I was a part timer at that point, of course. But um, I started that even before I was old enough to drive. But my goal was to maybe be sports editor of a big daily paper someday. Hmm. Um, I was sports editor of a, of a daily at age nineteen. Wow. Um, but I but I was still feeling that call. So I thought this is not going to be my my whole career. But um, but writing for sure for sure has been my career. Yeah. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app.
0: That's EDIFI.app.
1: This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back.
0: This is kind of a wide open question, but as such a prolific author, who do you count as some of your literary or writing influences?
1: Well, my, my first one was my mother. Um, she actually taught me to write uh, – I'm sorry, taught me to read before kindergarten, which made me kind of an wow. obnoxious elementary school, t- school uh, student. Um, and the joke in our family is that you know, in, in first grade, I was reading at a fourth grade level. And in college, I was still reading at fourth grade level. (laughs) um, But she she had skipped a grade in in high school. She had had studied Latin in high school, so she was a real wordsmith and loved word games and that type of thing. So that was my first big influence. And then my um, journalism teacher in high school uh, was one of those, you know, few that that say the right things at the right time. And he he lauded my work, and he took a piece that I had written for my school newspaper. And sent it to the Chicago Tribune, and they they printed it. And uh, I was seventeen, probably at the time. And then Campus Life Magazine picked that up and, and printed it because it was a story about Bob Richards, the old uh, de- decathlete, and um,
0: yes, he was on the Wheaties box know.
1: and that type of thing. And so that really was my my start. Um, and as for now, my influences, I I love the writing of Rick Bragg, B R A G G. He used to be a New York Times columnist but now is writing books and they're just poetic i mean he's i think he's the best mm. writer we've got alive today
0: oh i'm gonna check him out i know the name but i haven't really read much of his stuff you know, his, so. me- his memoir
1: great. all over but the Shoutin', is, is the favorite my favorite book ever
0: i'm gonna make a note of that Good, right there um so this is your second novelization of the chosen television series i mean this one covering season two and I'm sure this is a collaborative process between you and your son Dallas, who of course is the creator and the director of The Chosen. So specifically, what does the process look like? Does Alice, does Dallas pretty much give you free reign or does he provide specific details and objectives of what he would like to see accomplished
1: in each book? Well, a little of both. And this is sort of a deconstructing process because usually... Uh, TV shows and movies are based on books. Well, obviously right. the the chosen TV series is based on the Bible, but these novels are based on the the series that what you see on the screen. So what I get from Dallas and his co-writers are the scripts. And of course I watch each episode and I've, I've had to, I say I had to, I got to watch each uh, episode <laughs> over 20 times and I never get tired of one scene. And I, I it moves me emotionally every time. Um, but I will say that the, f- the very first one I did, the first book was uh, uh, I Have Called You By Name. And I was a little timid in how far I went past what they had imagined, because they're already imagining right. what might have led up to these biblical events. The biblical events are pretty much as you'd see in scripture, but they imagine conversations and even other characters and histories and backstories. And uh, I kind of repeated what was on the screen. And when they saw that, people liked it and it sold well and everything. But even the writers in Dallas said... Uh, you needed to go to go deeper. You can you can have fun, do inner monologue and re- responses, make up your own backstories. So this second one, come and see. Um, I really had fun with. I mean, I I dug deep into to backgrounds and, mm. and backstories and, and imagined even more stuff. So um, that's how it goes. And and uh, I'm not I'm not co-writing with them, but I'm I'm using their material and, and building something new.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to dig into that in just a minute, but before before I do.
1: What's the significance of the book's title? Come and see. Well, it's when uh, Philip uh, tells Nathaniel, uh, his friend from Bethsaida, um, "You need to come and see. I've discovered the Messiah." And and Nathaniel is skeptical and um, can't believe you know this could be true. But they're old friends, and he's very serious about saying, "Come and see." And mm-hmm. uh, Nathaniel has gone through you know the way the, the, the chosen imagines it. They imagine him as an architect who who was building a a cathedral um, to God and it it collapsed and and there was tragedy and and he was finished. And so he took those drawings and burned them and used the ashes to to put on his head, sitting under the fig tree. Well, when he goes to see Jesus, Jesus immediately, when he's, you know, the come and see part, when he comes and sees Jesus, Jesus starts telling him about himself. And and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And he said, I saw you under the fig tree when he hmm. was crying out saying, God, do you see me? And that's really based on, on the experience Dallas had in his filmmaking career. He had a movie that that failed and it, it led yeah. him toward doing the chosen. And he had a night like that, where he was like, God, I did this for you. I, what, what am I supposed to do? What do you see me? Am I here? And he got some messages that, that proved that God saw him too. So there's a really poignant, uh, Part of that. I've had
0: that, that conversation with Dallas and he, he basically said, if the resurrection of Gavin Stone had never, that experience had never happened, he probably never, ever would have gone down the road of the chosen, right. but because God has a wonderful way of nudging us and pushing us into certain directions. And, and in many ways, that movie, Gavin Stone turned out to be a blessing. For Dallas. Yeah, and the irony and that, that's of it is so amazing. Yeah,
1: and the irony of it is that even though it, it failed at the box office and and in essence ended his Hollywood career, uh, now that the Chosen is such an international phenomenon with almost half a billion views now, Hollywood mm. has come calling again, and people who have heard the story that like what he told you are checking out the resurrection of Gavin Stone and saying, "Hey, that was a good movie." I, thought it, was, yeah, I, liked I it. thought it was going to be a, a hit. I, I was it. wrong. You know, yeah. my joke to Dallas is I, I've always thought everything you do is brilliant, but this time I was right. But, but yeah, I was, no,
0: I, I enjoyed the movie, I, but unfortunately others did not. But anyway, um, as a writer, what types of things are you looking for from the television episodes that you watch to include in the novelization? I mean, are you looking for specific beats and turning points to incorporate into
1: your writing, into the book? Yeah. In fact, that their um, sequence helps me. I mean, I, I use that sequence because when mm-hmm. people read the novels, they've probably already seen the series and they don't want to be shocked or surprised and say, I, I don't recognize this. I want them to, to understand things they may have missed by not hearing it quite right or not knowing what it meant. I'll, I'll tell them, you know, somehow in the story that, that'll that come out. But then I also want to add more backstory, more imagining. And what I really look for there is emotion. Because, and I, t- I tell mm-hmm. new writers, you know, I teach writers online at jerryjenkins.com. And I, I I tell them that readers love to be educated and they love to be entertained, but they never forget when they're emotionally moved. And so, and and that's one of the great keys, I think, of the chosen on screen is that they've really, they really grab you. And um, so I I try to grab that emotion and and really play it out in the novels.
0: Mm. What what I've noticed about these novels is that, and by the way, I have my copy right here. (laughs) What I've noticed about these novels is that they really help readers to get a better understanding of Jesus, his disciples, and their ministry but in a refreshing, imaginative way. Why is it so important for readers to sense what Jesus and his disciples may have dealt with in the everyday?
1: Well, I think it's been hard for all of us over the years, even those of us who were, you know, the old cliche raised in the church. I've been reading Mm -hmm. the Bible since I was, you know, before kindergarten. And Mm -hmm. I always pictured Jesus and the disciples as sort of these saints, their, their stained glass window paintings or their statues or they're big old men with big gray beards that march everywhere and hold their lapels and that type of thing. And I, I just can't quite identify with them. And of course, Jesus is hard to identify with because he's perfect. But well, what mm-hmm. I think the genius of The Chosen is, and those writers, is that they've made these real people. And they say, here's what they might've looked like. Here's what they might've sounded like. Here's some of the issues that might've been in their day that caused them to, to want to follow Jesus, to, to need to follow Jesus. And one of the things we put in the front of each novel is that this whole series, everybody involved in this, are lovers of Scripture and believers in Scripture and believers in the efficacy of Jesus. So we're not trying to add to or take away from the gospel for sure. We're trying to imagine how it might have been to drive people back to the Bible. We don't want to supplant the Bible or replace it. We want people to to go back to the Bible. And uh, to me, it's important. I, I find it's changed my Bible reading. When I read the New mm. Testament now I'm seeing, admittedly, these characters who are playing these parts, but it helps me remember who they are and what they're like, and uh, it's it's really changed my life. I think and
0: that that's the thing for me about the, what we've just been discussing about the chosen series is that, I mean, I, I believe that a lot of the show's success can be attributed to the fact that many details and creative flourishes, if you will, that have been interwoven into the life of Jesus. So in essence, we take Taking what we see in scripture and building around that with fictional characters, but it really helps bring up nuances of the time, uh, the era, and who Jesus truly was. And I think that's so important to the show's success is that you get a a
1: full flavor, a full flavor. Yeah, I think it uh, contributes. What it was like in those days. I think it contributes. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I think it contributes to the authenticity, and that's that's been Dallas's trademark. He said. These people have to be authentic. They can't be caricatures. They can't be, you know, performing in essence. They have to be living these parts. And that's why you don't see people that look like me in this show, mm-hmm. because I'm too white. I'm too Western. Unless <laughs> I was going to be a Roman soldier, right. I, I couldn't be in there. Right. And so he's he's cast it with Middle Eastern people and people of color. And it looks real. It's authentic. And what they say and what they do should sound authentic based on what we know in Scripture.
0: Yeah, um, who are some of the characters from the television series that you key in and key in on in the chosen come and see? I mean, I probably we're looking at Peter and uh, Matthew, Mary Magdalene, and others. I mean, who are some of those characters? Yeah, you know,
1: Nicodemus and, and Thomas, and you know, as we get into to that second book, more of the disciples come to the fore. Uh, Simon right. the Zealot. Um, becomes one. And, and he's the brother. We, we just imagine they've imagined that he's the brother of the paralytic that Jesus heals uh, at the pool of Bethesda. And um, that, I had a lot of fun with that because going back to in the, in the film or in the uh, on screen, they have some beats that you see where um, his mother dies when he's young. He's got this brother and they're very close. Um, the father remarries. Um, he still feels like a burden. And when his brother goes off to become a zealot, he's alone now and embittered and, and somehow talks his way into being taken to this pagan pool. And he's there for 38 years trying to get to get in. Mm. And uh, so I kind of play that out, flush that out, all the things that happened to him and, and how he felt. So a lot of inner monologue, uh, a lot of feelings of the characters. Um, I love the, ca- the character of Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when he when he's called. And, and one of the beauties there is that Dallas has a daughter who's autistic. And so he, as he studied Matthew, he thought, here's a guy who's, whose original name was Levi. So he probably intended to be a priest. He winds up sure. being a tax collector yep. and in essence, betraying mm-hmm. his own family and people. So he's got to be a bit of a nerd and a money guy and a numbers guy. Could he be on the spectrum? So they, they asked the actor who's brilliant at this. Uh, and who's not autistic or on the Asperger's syndrome uh, um, spectrum. They ask mm-hmm. him to to play that, and I just think he does a beautiful job, and it's gotten such tremendous response from people who have autistic kids. The kids are enamored of that character and, and love to see it, and they're getting the story through that. Mm,
0: good stuff, good stuff. Um, during the novelization writing process for these two books, the first two, uh, because you became so deeply immersed in the source material, the four Gospels, um, I'm sure that you may have unco- uncovered something from about the life of Jesus that you never realized before. Is this the case? And if so, could you share what that was?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I, I've always thought that uh, I always assumed Jesus had a sense of humor because sometimes he bordered on sarcastic. Uh, Sometimes he would say, what's it to you if this be the case, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, there's a bit of humor there. Um, But but Dallas and his writers have really uh, expanded on that and and made Jesus a funny guy. You can't make him a sinner. He's not going to do something wrong. But he's going to be real. He's going to be the kind of friend you'd like to hang with. He's going to be a cool guy. And some people, that jars him a little. They think he should be, he's the God man. So he he should be worshipped and right. revered every minute as, as fully God. But he was also fully man. And so for him to say things like, you know, they ask him if he can help uh, Andrew uh, in his dancing. And he goes, even I can't, you know, there's things even I can't do. And there's one yeah. coming, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but at some point in the future, the disciples are around a campfire after a day of Jesus preaching and teaching the parables. And they're just sort of roughhousing and there's a couple of the guys are arm wrestling and one guy wins for the first time. The first time he's ever beaten, I think he beats big James. And one of the other disciples says to Jesus, I can't believe that, that big James lost. And Jesus says, even I didn't see that coming. So <laughs> that's the kind of humor I think that we, you know, we give him and, and it makes him relatable. We can say, "All right, he's perfect, but he's also a cool guy and a, would be." A
0: good yeah, guy. that's great. That's great. Um, what's your greatest hope for the chosen come and see? I mean, what would you like to see your audience, your readers, get out of the, that experience?
1: You know, somebody said recently, and I hadn't thought of it, but they said, "Is it possible that this this effort uh, in this modern medium?" is sort of a replacement or a new version of what Billy Graham did with, with stadium crusades. And I hadn't thought of it, but he's the one, you know, while everybody was laboring at little churches and sometimes mega churches, but doing their own thing locally, he was the one preaching to the world and preaching, you know, to people a hundred thousand people at a time. And so millions over the years. And now here, that's really what's happening with the chosen. I mean, with, with almost a half a billion views, and, and continuing to grow and all this interest in it, um, you know, our, our ultimate goal is we don't want people left behind. We want people to come to faith and we want Christians to be encouraged and we want them to be, to go back to their Bibles and back to their churches. And we're seeing that happen. That's what the, the fan mail is saying, that they've got a whole new view of scripture in their own church.
0: Mm. Speaking of large groups of people, Uh, The Chosen, your son Dallas, is currently filming episodes for season three. Were you on the set the day of their big feed of the 5,000 scene where there were like 10,000 extras? Were you there that day? And if so, what was that
1: experience I was not there, and I'm kind of glad I wasn't. Um, (laughs) Dallas says, it would not have been fun for you, Dad. And I, I agree. But my older brother went. His daughter made him a, a costume. They, they had specifics they had to follow. But my brother, um, he's as white as I am, but he's got a big, full gray beard and a full head of gray hair. And so he really looked the part. And he had some great stories. He he just loved it. And he's not the type to go around saying, hey, I'm the uncle, you know, but he did run into Dallas. Right. And Dallas had to announce as he embraced him, you know, uh, they had just told people, don't try to to get selfies and autographs and stuff from Dallas oh, sure. while he's busy. Uh, he'll try to do that later, but he, he saw Jeff and he he ran and embraced me and said, this is my uh, my uncle, so don't <laughs> get any ideas. But uh, that was great. We, Diana and I have been on the set. I was on the set in Utah twice. She was down there once with me. Uh, she's been on the set in Dallas once. I've been down there twice. And we're actually going uh, day after tomorrow. We're driving down there. and ah. We're going to be on the set for, I think, on August 1st. Yeah.
0: Well, I am excited. I'm going down to the set in about three weeks from now, mid-August. Oh, cool. uh, so I'm ex- in Midlothian, Texas, yep. I believe is, or somewhere in Texas they're filming. Yep. Um, and also I've been on the set one other time and you were actually there that day. It was in a warehouse oh, yeah. somewhere in Dallas, Texas. It was, it was season one and uh, it was very dim and dark and they were filming a scene in like a, what would be a restaurant of the day. At any
1: rate. Yeah, and everybody everybody there was wearing masks and this was before COVID because they were using and this right. is part of the authenticity. They don't use lighting. They use gas lamps and they use candles. And so that yes. that soot was in the air and, and all those guys had it it their ears and their noses. They had the but that was a fun day. And I was down there with uh, uh, Craig Evans, a seminary prof from Houston, and uh he had a great time down there too. Final question for you, Jerry, and that is,
0: are there any writing projects in the works down the road here that you could mention and share about?
1: Well, I have a a book unassociated with uh, The Chosen coming out next month. It's called Dead Sea Conspiracy, and uh, Hmm. it'll be out August 23rd. And then uh, I'm, I'm rewriting my book, Hedges, a nonfiction book about loving your marriage enough to protect it. It's it's over 30 years old, and I'm going to update it for this century. And sadly, it's still nice. needed uh, to protect people from infidelity. Uh, and then I'm also writing a, a baseball book. I'm doing a book with the manager of the Kansas City Royals. We did a book. Uh, Mike Swing. Mike, Mike uh Michael Matheny. 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 There you go. Matheny. There, I got he it. made me yeah. blank on his name. But we did the <laughs> Matheny Manifesto, and now we're going to do a book called The Dad Coach, which is uh, for these dads that get pressed into service coaching their kids' teams and not knowing what to do or how to do it. And he's got some great things to, to teach there. So that'll be, I'll write that later this year for next year.
0: Well, that's fantastic. We look forward to seeing those projects when they come out. Jerry, thanks so much for the time today. Jerry B. Jenkins. Once again, the title of Jerry's latest book is The Chosen Come and See. It's a novelization of season two of the Chosen video series, and that book is available right now wherever books are sold, both online and in bookstores across the land. You know, one of the things that I love about Jerry Jenkins is that he is committed to bringing along the next generation of Christian writers. And for me, you can never have enough quality Christian communicators. Through his speaking at writers' conferences, online writing courses that he teaches, and a variety of writing tools that he provides on his website, Jerry's serious about people fulfilling their potential in publishing and fulfilling their literary dreams. You can learn more about these wonderful tools at jerryjenkins.com. And by the way, Season 3 of The Chosen is filming right now, and is expected to launch later this fall, likely in November. So be on the lookout for that. I had the honor and privilege of uh, going on a set visit uh, during season one of The Chosen. And uh, let me just say, it was a very surreal and interesting time. First of all, due to plane delays and connections, I did not get into the hotel for the set visit for the next day until about 1 a.m. So, you know, you think about, oh, 1 a.m., that's not so bad. You know, just get to sleep fast and get up and get on get on with your day. However, when I arrived at the hotel, there was a note for me saying that someone would pick me up at 5 a.m. So we could be on the set by 5.30 a.m. And if you do that, and I know I promised there wouldn't be any math, and here's the second example of using math. But if you do some math, you'll know that that's not a lot of time to sleep, probably about three to three and a half hours. Well, that's what I ended up getting. At any rate, I arrived at the warehouse in a Dallas industrial area and found myself having breakfast with several of the characters in full costume before 6 a.m. That was a very interesting experience, but it was a wonderful day. Don't get me wrong. I had the best day that day. I got to interview Dallas Jenkins at length, and I even got to sit next to Jerry for several of the scenes that were being filmed that day, and I consider this trip to be truly a blessing. And I was just on The Chosen set earlier this week, somewhere in the heart of Texas, I will share more about that on an upcoming episode of the CrossMap podcast, but what I can tell you is that it was hot with a capital H. At times, I felt like I was standing on the surface of the sun, but it was all worth it. It was a fantastic trip, and as I mentioned, I'll share more about that on a coming episode. Turning now to CrossMap.com, I want to encourage you all to subscribe to the CrossMap podcast. It's easy to say that you can get the CrossMap podcast anywhere you consume podcasts, but I always like to be a little more specific than that. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher.com, and of course the Edify Podcast Network, which is our home base. And while you're there, be sure to give us a rating and leave us some feedback. And I can assure you that, that we read each and every review and, and piece of feedback that comes in as, you know, that's because we're constantly striving to improve the product and make the CrossMap podcast better and better and better. And final note on that, encourage your friends to give us a listen too. I mean, if you're a fan of the podcast, you like what's happening here every single week, let your friends know so they can dial in, give it a listen, and hopefully they'll subscribe too. That would be wonderful. Can't let you go today without telling you a little bit about our next guest. Uh, I first became acquainted with him when he was a finalist on season 11 of American Idol. Specifically, when he gave a soulful, heart-altering performance of everything by the band Lighthouse, I was very intrigued as I am a big fan of Lighthouse. Since then, he's gone on to have a fruitful career in contemporary Christian music, appearing at Winter Jam, winning two Dove Awards, and charting five top 20 CCM hits. And did I mention, he has some of the best hair in the business. I'm speaking, of course, about Colton Dixon. He's our guest on the next CrossMap podcast, episode number 26. And uh, this was one of the most fun interviews I've done in recent memory. Colton and I just seemed to click And uh, there was a great story about the office television show that we discuss that you definitely don't want to miss. It was very, very funny. I'm laughing at it right now. So that's going to do it for this week's CrossMap podcast. And as I always like to encourage you to do over the next week, love God, love people. We'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. (laughs)